0: Welcome to a deeper conversation. This is Yochaved. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This is an episode that I have been planning for a long time. I was back and forth with Bracha trying to schedule time to record this podcast, basically, since I read the book that she edited. So, the book is Reclaiming Dignity, and the editor is Bracha Polyakov. And it's about sneeze, which is a topic that I have hesitated to talk about on this podcast for so long. And this is a podcast that is for Jewish women, and SNEAS is a huge topic for Jewish women. But nevertheless, to me, it's always been sort of a touchy subject. And the reason why that my personal feeling about this is that I think every woman has their own journey, and every woman has their own experience, and it is very personal. SNEAS is something that we grow into and that we struggle with at different stages of our lives in different ways. And so you know, for an older person to talk to a younger person about sneas, even though you might remember what it was like to be in high school, it's just different. And the generation is different. The challenges are different. I don't know, like everything about it seems to me to be just such a personal thing. And I also find specifically when it comes to dress, when we talk about sneas as as being, you know, something that, you know, has to do with clothing. um, I also find that that very often is a symptom rather than a, a cause a, or a source, I should say. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Meaning to say that when a person works on themselves, a woman specifically, when she works on her midos, when she works on her relationship with Hashem, when she works on her amunah then the way that she dresses will automatically start to reflect that. And I've seen that happen in real time with so many people that I've worked with, that I've known over the years, both in Kirv situations, in, in Beis Yaakov settings. Tznias really, and it should be, a reflection of what's going on inside. And very often when we dress a certain way that maybe we're not holding by, that often can create a certain amount of cognitive dis- dissonance and distress, and it could also be a vehicle for gaiva, because when we take on a chumrah that it's not really genuine to us, so then it becomes a way to sort of uh, differentiate and causes like rifts and obviously straw. and it's just it's not good. So that's for I mean I could talk about this for a whole clip, that's the uh, for a whole podcast, that's the honest truth, but for those reasons. I've really hesitated to really deal with Snius, um as its own podcast. However, this book is so amazing, and you're going to hear this conversation that I had with Bracha, where we really don't even talk that much about these type of clothing issues um, with regards to Sneas but really talk about Sneas more as a mida, as an idea, um, and a way that we can really practically grow in SNEAS that is not at all... Um, either judgy or preachy in any way. Um, It's an incredible book, which I highly recommend. I highly recommend that you pick it up. But as an introduction to that, this conversation with Bracha was so much fun. It was fun to have. It was educational for me. I hope it will be educational for you. And I'd love to hear your feedback about tsneas in general, some of the things that you've been struggling with. Please feel free to share with me. Maybe some of the things that have helped you, I'd also like to know. And if I get enough feedback, maybe I will do another episode that's dedicated to tsneas And I'd love to do it with your feedback. So be in touch with me at a deeper conversation, 120 at gmail.com. That's my email address. You can follow me and direct me. Message me on Instagram as well at a deeper conversation. Um, Email is really the best way because I am a little older, so that is um, easier for me than Instagram, which is not so intuitive, but I am there, so you could reach me in both those places. Also consider, it, consider sponsoring uh, an episode that helps to keep the podcast going or becoming a monthly subscriber. You could do that on Anchor or at maverickpodcasting.com. Either way, either place is great. Um, you could sponsor an episode there and I appreciate and I really value all the support that I get. Thank you all so much for listening and enjoy the episode. This is A Deeper Conversation, the podcast for Jewish women. Welcome. Hi, Bracha. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to have you. This has actually been a long time coming for me because I got this book, I think when it first came out, um, the book for my audience is called Reclaiming Dignity, and it's about SNEAS, and my mother gave it to me. And when she first gave it to me, I like it had that sort of visceral reaction of, I cannot read a book about Sneas. I just can't. <laughs> and then I really liked the book, and then I reached out to you, and it took a while till we finally actually made this happen. So I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Sure. Okay, so first, just let's start off from the beginning. Maybe can you tell me and my audience a little bit about you and your background and how you even came to be involved in this project? Yeah, so... Um... I
1: mostly lived in Baltimore for my, almost my entire life. Um, I was born in New York, but moved here when I was six. And then we had a short stint in Richmond, Virginia for three years, but otherwise I have been in Baltimore um, my whole adult life and um, went to school here. I went to a modern Orthodox um, elementary school at first. My father was a Rebbe there. And then I switched to the Besiakov, uh school here in Baltimore where I graduated from. And I'm a clinical social worker I organize continuing education and trainings for mental health professionals and social workers.
0: The first part of the book are essays from different people about SNEAS, not all women, some Mm -hmm. rub and all sorts of people. One of the uh, the essays that, or one of the lines, I should say, that caught my eye was the essay that was written by Dr. Leslie Uh Ginsburg-Klein, and he calls it SNEAS PTSD. When I hear the word SNEAS, sometimes I shudder on the inside. Other times I roll my eyes. Because when I was in school, Tineas was a threat. If you weren't what my school considered Tineas, you got in trouble. If you weren't Tineas, you risked not getting into seminary. Even worse, you were damaging your Shiddha prospects. Because what was the teacher supposed to say when someone called in a few years for a Shiddha reference for you? So I don't know if that has been your experience, but I'm just wondering like, how it got to be that you became passionate about the subject that led you to putting together this amazing book. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I think Dr. Klein speaks for a lot of people um, who've had SNES PTSD or who have it now. Um, And it's definitely something I've struggled with and still do to some extent, um, although it's a lot better since working on it and and working on this project as well. Um, So I think it's a very common experience for women. Um, I I don't find any men with SNES PTSD for some reason, (laughs) but women definitely have it. Um, And I also I think when we talk about this conversation, it's important to point out, not everybody has that, you know, there are some people that are really positive about SNEAS, or some people who are just kind of neutral about it. But there's definitely a very large, I don't want to say minority or majority, I'm not sure how many people it affects, but many, many people who hear about, for example, this book written on SNEAS, and are like, no, thank you. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of people have like what you described that, that visceral reaction. Um, And interestingly, I'm one of those people. So I actually came to this book, I guess, from a a funny place, not as someone who, you know, always loved CNEAS and appreciated it and connected to it, but someone who really struggled um, to connect to the topic of SNEAS. And so um, part of what attracted me to trying to find a solution for that was, you know, seeing the problem firsthand, both through my, my own experiences, many other people that I knew, women, um, girls, you know, I've had different, I've given shiram in the community, I've uh, taught at different points. So just, you know, seeing, that response and how common it was kind of influenced me to start thinking about, well, what can we do to make it better?
0: Um, what do you think, well, you said you 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 struggled with it and you, through the process of writing this book, it's gotten much better. Is there have, Has there been like a specific thing that really struck you as being, wow, this is so powerful, or I didn't see it this way, or this really is practically speaking making a difference for me as far as Sineas goes, um, like in the process of working on it?
1: Yeah, I can tell you what helped me, but I just, but I always like want to preface that by saying, you know, it's such a personal thing Mm -hmm. what helped me might not help someone else, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. funny, even Dr. Klein in her essay, the one you referred to, you know, she talks about an approach that worked for her Mm -hmm. um, and other people say, oh, that would never work for me, right? So I think it's like everyone needs to find their own connection to it, just like with any mitzvah, you know, or Jewish value, right? We want to find like our way of connecting to it, especially, you know, as we get older, and more mature, hopefully, you know, are trying to reconnect to things in a more, you know, thoughtful, mature way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think it's like, I I always give the example of Shabbos, you know, that if there was someone that really struggled to connect with Shabbos, you know, hopefully, at some point in their life, they would say, you know, I really need to work on this, I want, I don't want to have a negative relationship with Shabbos, you know, comes every Mm -hmm. single week, right? Like, I need to find a way to connect to it. It's such an important part of of our Yiddishkeit. And so I feel the same thing about Snias, you know, it's like every one of us needs to find our own connection, our own relationship. So I can, I can share with you what, what's worked for me, but I just yeah. also want to, you know, say if that <laughs> doesn't work for you, that's fine too. Um, so for me, you know, the, the, the two major things that helped me that really um you you will see all over the book, if you do read it um is these two themes, one of Snias as a mida and one is of Snias as a mitzvah. And so the first section of the book really um, speaks to this idea of Tznias as a midah and understanding, you know, the original sources um, in Tanakh and in Chazal for the concept of Tznias um, and really understanding how it's much deeper and broader. Um, and it's really for men and women, which is why the subtitle of the book is The Guide to Tznias for Men and Women, um, because we really wanted to um, show how Tznias is a really big and um, broad idea and value um, that is really for both both genders. And then the second part is this idea of tsnias as a mitzvah, which, you know, I'd originally heard from Rabbi Anthony Manning, and it's based on the idea of Rabbi Yitzchak Berkovitz, And that's the whole second section of the book is based on that, is understanding halacha through the prism of Tznias as a mitzvah in the Torah and um, understanding how all the parts of the halacha kind of fit together and overlap. Um, but there's different different pieces to it. And so... Um, those two ideas were like the things that completely made a huge, huge paradigm shift for me. Um, and so in the book, even though there's so many thoughts and so many contributors and there's other things as well, but that's really like the main themes underlying the whole, the whole approach.
0: It's so interesting. I, so many thoughts going through my mind when you were talking just now. The first is this idea that it's personal for everybody. And I, I always sort of sh- shied away from talking about sneeze publicly even though people have asked people have asked on this podcast if I would address Sneas and I've always hesitated to do so for that very reason but it's so interesting because I remember I had a friend um and you'll see from the story she was not so traditional um but she was in a very dangerous situation and it was like a robbery type of thing and then she was fine and so she said to me I've decided that I want to take something on and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna stop wearing tank tops and I'm only gonna wear t-shirts outside And that was like sort of her instinctive reaction of what she can do, like to get closer to Hashem. And it really made me think of this sort of um, internal relationship that everybody has with Tanias and how personal is. It's just it's very funny because I do think it's to do with every woman's relationship with Hashem and her own personal growth. And yet it's something that plays out in public. So everybody comments on it. And, and we do live in a society where externals are so important. So when people look at somebody and they would picture in their mind a religious person, the first thing that usually will come to their head is, well, how they dress, mm-hmm. right? And so we get caught up, I think, in the idea of tzinias being something that's specifically about what we're wearing. And of course it is that. So we don't take away from the fact right. that dress is important, but that's just one small part of tineas. I think speaking right. to what you said, as tzinias being really amida and a mitzvah and a way of connecting to Hashem. Exactly. Yeah. I think you exactly
1: sums it up. I think that's a great way to put it. You know, it's like, we, we live in a very superficial society, um, Mm -hmm. both, both, you know, in the outside world, like it's very extreme and everything from the outside world, you know, trickles into our, our smaller world as well. Um, And so I think we, we use certain terminology and certain concepts just because it's just part of the air we breathe. We're, We're, we're living in a time that's like incredibly superficial um, and so that seeps into the way we talk about and relate to seneeas also. Um, mm-hmm. But then you know, I think that's part of the issue is that it causes that kind of backlash or that negativity. Um, but it's not actually the the that's causing it. It's more the way we talk about it, the way we discuss it, um, how it's how we how we use, you know how it's become again like this very superficial thing for a lot of people, a lot of judgment, um, blame and shame, you know, things like that. So I think um, people have this like negative response to SNES because of the way it's been framed or discussed and not so much because of what it actually is. If That makes sense.
0: Right. And the way that it's taught or the way that it's given over, especially to girls, like you said, Snias is for men and women. And I always think of my father um, with this because he, my, my father's atal was nifter about a year and a half ago. And he used to be so upset when he would open up any Jewish magazine, any Jewish publication, and he would see, let's say, uh, an article with a picture of the author by the byline, not women. I know there's a whole discussion. I've had it on this podcast with my friend, Alex Fletcher, about women's pictures and, you mm-hmm. know, Jewish magazines and stuff like that. And she's written about that. Um, but male pic- pictures of men, you know, like he he always used to say, it's just so on to put a picture, to put your picture like that next to your byline. And really what I think part of what happens, and, and this is what my father was saying, is that you make the article about yourself and I mean, it's it's not to blame any male who has their pictures, the, you know, the magazine's layout is doing this mm-hmm. um, and they want people to see the face of the people who's writing. It's fine. But on some level, it makes it the person who's writing a little bit of a celebrity. Mm-hmm. And it's about them as opposed to the Torah or the content. And to me, what I see kind of throughout this book, what you spoke to the idea of Tznius as a midah, is that it is about connecting to Hashem, which automatically means a certain negation of ego. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Yeah. I think so much of, of the idea of of SNEAS as Amida is about kind of connecting to that internal place. Um, you know, like you said so beautifully, like that relationship between you and Hashem and like what does Hashem want? Um, and and not and and very like and the and the exact opposite of like thinking about what other people are gonna think and what other people right. And so that's the idea of, of Sineas as Amida is really very much focused on that internal piece. Um, and so as soon as we, we switch it and we're focusing on other people and we make the focus on, you know, the outsides and what are other people going to think and trying to, you know, get people to think a certain way about us. You know, we do, we take the, we switch the focus, you know, and that, that's like the opposite of what we're trying to do with Sunea. So,
0: yeah, I think if I had to think about like my own, I don't, I don't really have Sunea's PTSD. I definitely had my teenage moments where I would want to wear something and people would tell me not to. Um, But it wasn't really ever terrible. And it wasn't something that I tremendously struggled with. Um, But if there's a reason why I would pick up a book about Sneas and sort of roll my eyes before even opening it up is because, well, first of all, the sort of hyper focus on like clothing, you know, knee lengths, you know, socks, stockings, no stockings, whatever it is. Um, For the record, I do wear stockings all the time, but, you know, just... The idea that this is an indication of Tineas is to me a little bit off-putting. I think also something that comes up for a lot of women, I don't know if you could speak to this at all, is sometimes when something happens, something happens, a tragedy happens in the world or something is going on, there will be this immediate like, well, women have to not wear long curly shaitals or there'll be something like that. And it seems, again, like something that is imposed externally, sometimes imposed for men, um, but- it also, again, kind of rubs up against this feeling, this this really strong conviction or, um, you know, recognition that I have that SNEAS is my own personal journey that has to do with my relationship with Hashem. And it almost seems a little bit of like, a you know, we're sort of offloading a tragedy onto the shoulders of women to I don't know, whatever, not we long curly shetels or something like that. And I hope this is not going to be too controversial, but I just wonder what you what you think about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's kind of two pieces to it. Um, There's like the emotional piece and then the intellectual piece. Right. So mm-hmm. the, the intellectual piece is like, well, well, when people say these things, are they based in Torah resources? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's like a, that's a conversation we can have like on an intellectual level. Like what are the, someone, I was actually just talking to someone about that this week. Like, is there a source that shows that, you know, there's protection with Sneas, that type of thing. Right. Right. But, Second piece is kind of that emotional response, right? Mm-hmm. So even if there were a source and we can talk about maybe potential sources um, for some of these ideas, when we make it, you know, when we turn it into this, well, and now all women need to, or this is happening because, right? It's like, well, is that, you know, effective? I guess <laughs> because <laughs> what I'm trying to say. It's like, we want to encourage, you know, let's let's say we want to encourage this specific type of religious growth in people, right? So is it effective that after a tragedy, we have this type of messaging, you know, and so I I find it kind of goes either way, like, some people are very um, black and white, they like being told, you know, if you do X, or you cover X, or you get a special, um, you know, haircut on your shades all, then, you know, Mashiach is going to come tomorrow, and they mm-hmm. very much relate to these type of messaging, and they're okay with it, and then for everybody else, there's like this really bad backlash, <laughs> this emotional, <laughs> like, Why am I being told to, you know, and it's like you use this type of response um, in women. It's like either one or the other, like either they're like, "Okay, that makes sense. I'm on it. You know, or it's like, this makes no sense. Where is this coming from? Why are we always blaming women? And it becomes this very negative thing for people. And so for me, it's always like, you know, even if it was correct, which, you know, we can have questions about whether that's the correct message. It's like, is that the way we should be talking about this topic if we want people to have like a long term, healthy relationship with it? So it kind of goes both ways, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, with that in mind, if anybody's listening to this and they have maybe a teenage daughter, or even let's say a younger daughter who's just starting to um, get a little, you know, more mindful about how they're dressing. Um, It's funny, my daughter, I was just talking to my daughter and she was telling me that her daughter, my granddaughter, who is... um, six years old, just decided that she's only wearing knee socks. So I went to the store and I got like a bunch of like really cute knee socks and I sent them to her. She lives in Florida. So I'm like, she doesn't need to wear knee socks in Florida, but I'm like, okay, you know what? She asked for knee socks. Let's give them to her because Mm -hmm. we can support that. You know, I don't know if it'll last hopefully into teenagehood, but what would you say is the most important thing that a parent or teacher needs to recognize or is the thing that educationally we're either doing wrong or could be doing right or should be doing?
1: Yeah, so I, I have a hard time talking about what we should be doing educationally just because I'm I'm not in that setting right now mm-hmm. and you know I feel a little funny telling people what to do especially teachers who I think are absolutely incredible and amazing and do not need my you know feedback about how they're doing things um, right so I, I don't I kind of you know try not to get too involved in that part of it um, when I when I talk about the messaging in the community I, I just want to be clear I'm not talking about what's going on in schools. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's part of it. But like, when I think about my own feelings about sneas growing up and how I struggled with it, it wasn't so much, you know, because the schools were like pushing sneas down our throats or talking about it in a certain way. Um, I think it's like very, very much. It's kind of like the air we breathe. You know, it's like you open a magazine, you see an article, your friends at school are talking about it you know, a teacher makes some comment. Like, it's it's like a combination of all those things. Like, people are like, oh, well, do you blame this on your education that you didn't, you know, love SNEAS mm-hmm. or something? And I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like we're all part, like the whole community is part of the problem and the whole community is part of the solution. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of the goal with the book is like really changing the community conversation, like having these type of conversations like we're having right now mm-hmm. um, so that people realize like how much broader, deeper, more beautiful SNEAS is. Um, because I really don't think, you know, this problem didn't happen simply, and it's not going to be solved simply, you know, I don't think it's as easy right. as telling teachers, you know, instead of teaching it like this, teach it like that, mm-hmm. um, although that is happening in the schools now, um, if you're familiar with the Panini curriculum, so there are not some, a, yeah. yeah, there's some curriculum for trying to teach Nias differently in the schools, but again, that's not my specialty, and I don't want to, you know, tell people how to do their jobs, <laughs> but, okay. um, I but I did, the book is like really getting into the schools, um, both directly and indirectly, I know a lot of teachers who are using some of the material from the book um in their in their classrooms. So that that's exciting. Um, and again, there's this curriculum as well, this panimi curriculum um, by Feige Zeltzer, who's one of the mm-hmm. um, contributors so she wrote the in the book, the book as too. well. Yeah. So there's definitely like a lot of really positive things going on um, in educational settings. And what I would love to see is like having those conversations as a community in our in our homes, like really creating this like community response where it's not just happening in school or at home or in Schul or in our magazines, like, but everywhere, you know, that Mm -hmm. these conversations are changing, that people are realizing um, that these topics are so much broader and, and deeper and more complex than maybe we talk about them.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. I think that that's so important. I mean, speaking of what's going on in schools and okay, so you're not a teacher and educator. I used to be, I'm not anymore. Um, I used to be
1: also, but right (laughs) now, like I'm not, so I just feel funny, like, you know,
0: saying anything. Two ex-teachers, but I will say that, um, Okay, so I graduated, just to date myself, I'm 49, I graduated high school in 1991, and I went to a basic Afro high school. And um, I got married in 94, married a very nice cold boy, who's now a Rosh Hashiva. So, you know, like I've I've kind of been through the system and I think it was maybe like in the early 2000s when I was sitting at a call with my niece and her friends and they were all in high school. And one of the girls piped up and said, I don't know they were talking about Taniyas and they were talking about the school rules and the school that they went to. Um, I think one of the girls was saying that she wasn't allowed to wear a T-shirt, like a T-shirt under her uniform shirt, under her button-down uniform shirt. I think that's what the discussion was. And one of the other girls said, just like Torah is for men, so Tutsuniyas is for women. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? I had never heard that before. Yeah. the years of basic Education. And all of a sudden, this is something that girls started saying mm-hmm. that I had never heard before. And I was so happy to see that Rabbi Manning addressed that in his part of the book because it's something that has somehow, again, like you said, it's sort of come into the ether. It's now this sort of thing that people say, right. but he really, and he, everything that he writes in this book is in such a balanced way. Like his his part of the book is the second half where he doesn't talk about like specific halacha, right? He doesn't talk about knee length, uh, you know, uh, skirt length, I should say. He really discusses the idea of Tanias, the Midah and the Hashkafa about it um but everything that he does is just so clear and and sort of even-handed positive and generous yeah do you know what I
1: mean and also through the halacha which I think is very unique that it's not just like you know these hashkafic ideas but they're everything's based in the halachas themselves um and what's really cool that he sources everything too like he has you probably saw like hundreds of of notes you know so that it's not you know because I was reading a book recently and the person kept you know saying these different sources and then her interpretation of them and it just I was like, what are these? It's hard to know what it's based on sometimes when you read a safe fair, right? You're like, okay, but where is this coming from? You know, and so that's one of the unique things about about this book is that everything's sourced and footnoted. So right. if there's anything you're not sure about, you can just go look it up yourself. And you know, like we're not yeah. expecting anyone to take our word for anything in there. You know, um, I
0: call I call it Judaism teaches. That's my line. Like anytime somebody says Judaism teaches that, I'm always like what does that even what does judaism teaches mean like right does, or does the the say this? Like, you know. I, my favorites when they say the torah approach too i'm like there's okay. never
1: the. there's always a a torah <laughs> approach right there's, there's so many different you know with and so many every topic there's so many different it's not like there's ever one opinion only you know so
0: yeah well, well with regard to the specific subject what i had heard i had i remember after i had heard this my my niece saying this i asked uh, Revitz and about it. And she told me about this letter that this originally comes from, from the Gra, mm-hmm. which apparently he said that an antidote to the Sahara for men is Torah and for women is Tznias. So mm-hmm. he wasn't like sort of equating the two and saying that just as a man's mitzvah is Talmud Torah, a woman's equal mitzvah, meaning like for men, you should be learning it every day. Right. It's not the same. Like, this is how you connect to the divine. He's saying like, this is an antidote. And also as Rabbi Manning says in the book, um, you know, a, a letter from the Gra. And I think even some of the lines are disputed about whether it was original. Yeah, that that he letter that you, just, the line yeah. that you just quoted is actually not in some of the original uh, letters. Some of the versions of the letters. Yeah, I guess, you know, what I think about is, again, and, and you you know, you, we spoke about the schools before, and I really do feel sympathy for schools. Having been a teacher, my husband has a yeshiva now. Yeah. The reality is that if you have your students walking around dressed a certain way, it affects your school. It affects what kids are going to come to your school, and it affects the impression people have of your school. And so you do need to sort of enforce compliance with regards to dress in a way that has nothing, to, for reasons, I should say, that have really nothing to do with teaching the value of tineas. It's just sort of a practical reality. It's an occupational hazard. And I think that sometimes because of that necessity, the message either gets diluted or it gets like diverted into something that really has nothing to do with sneas, right?
1: Right. And I think, I think, um, just to go back to what you said about the grudge for one minute, um, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot to say about it and you really, (laughs) people really need to read the book, but just that one line that is disputed about the Sahara, he does say, um, in addition to he says um you know men learning Torah can help protect them from the Sahara, Um but for women, um they should they should um you know act bit and they should all or bit and they should also act, he says I think he uses um he they should have hanhagas, midos, and musur. Right. Um, so he says not just that they need to dress neatly, but also that they need to work on their mitos and musters. So he, it's not, you know, it's not as clear as people, people think it is, even in that, that disputed line um, that's there. Um, and I think, you know, you're right, is that a lot of times people take these things out of context, these lines, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. other things, messages they're getting, like you said, in the school system that can make things confusing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I know a lot of schools are already doing this. And again, I'm not telling schools what to do. Um, But something that I've heard from many people who are in in school systems is, you know, that it's very helpful to have a separation between the dress code and SNEAS Because they're not always the same. You know what I mean? That a school, every school has their rules. They have, you know, um, you know, when you come late to school, like when I was growing up, we always had to get a special note from the office. We came late. Like there's certain policies you know, mm-hmm. and schools also have policies about dress codes, or we had um, a uniform growing up, you know, you had to have certain colors and certain lengths and certain styles, whatever it was. Um, but that doesn't have to do with SNES necessarily, right? It's your dress code. So if you came to school, and instead of wearing a blue skirt, you're wearing a yellow skirt, like, mm-hmm. if you're, you don't have to be told that's not SNES, you need to be told that's violating our dress code. And here's what happens. Like, I think just taking that emotionality, and that like, again, that blaming, shaming out of it, can make a world of a difference for girls who are already so self-conscious about their clothing choices and their individuality and being told what to do and where you know how to dress. And so, like, the more we can just separate those two things for ourselves, like in our own minds, and also, mm-hmm. um, you know, on the school level, that we have a dress code and there's certain rules and policies. And then there's SNES, two separate things. Yeah. You know, there's overlap, of course. There's overlap. But you know, if you look in like, so so I grew up in Baltimore, so I saw like how the how these things evolved. Um, mm-hmm. like just to give you a funny example, like we didn't have to wear um knee socks at all in school until I was in ninth grade.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: like wow. that's, that's a different world in college, like, meaning the high school until we joined yeah. until my ninth grade class. they just wore short socks, and like there was no so we were a little behind. maybe some of the New York schools would say. Mm-hmm. um, and you know, then, like, as far as wearing clothing outside of school, like there was never rules about that until a certain point, you know, it's mm-hmm. like we very it was I guess a very different than made my friends that grew up in New York who had very rigid dress codes
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: you know I remember like going to visit a friend in New York and she told me she had to go to we, we had to go to her school to pick something up and she said to me oh I can't I have to take off my nail polish I'm not allowed to wear nail polish to school I said oh but you're but it's not school it's like the summertime or something school's mm-hmm. already over she's like I just need to drop something off there so I was like she's like I know but I can't like they can't see me wearing it. like that I have nail polish on my nails you know so that was all like very interesting to me as a kid. I was like, really? This is like a thing? You know? So I think also like when you get into these bigger communities, I'm using New York, but it could be any Mm -hmm. large community that has Mm -hmm. multiple school options for girls, they differentiate themselves by their dress code, right? So it's like it almost becomes this necessary evil of like, well, if you go to this school, then you wear this. And if you go to there, they have a different dress code, right? So it's like I think we end up in a situation where we equate SNEAS and dress code, but they're really not about that. Like what you were saying about, you know, about it being a certain image for the school, um, you know, that's different than Sneas.
0: Yeah. I love the way that you said that just now that really did sort of like tie the circle together. And I think it's such an important distinction. Um, and, and it's so important. And I have to say, like speaking about different communities, one of the things that I, I loved uh, a chapter in the book that I loved was about Dasi Huttis, where, um, and the idea of Dasi Huddis, um, I think Rabbi Manning actually quotes Rashi. I think it actually, I marked it in my book somewhere. Um, but he, he, Rashi defines Dasi is this sort of what women have taken on mm. um, in a certain community. And he describes the halakhic process of that is that if a certain, in a community, women have taken on a certain standard, that's not just the minhag. That's a pretty stringent thing in that community that those women now need to adhere to because that's what the community's taken on. And the way he says it so beautifully, and again, it's it's this way of like talking about Tznias in a very, frank straightforward um clear way without any type of blame or shame involved where he said that if a woman is not part of that community she's not necessarily obligated to dress that way um you know assuming that she is dressing within the bounds of halacha and it doesn't mean that she's less tzinius to somebody than somebody who is in that community who does have to dress that way right right this idea of like right this is sort of like That women have decided to take on for themselves is very interesting and also not so clear. (laughs) So clear, yeah. It's it's sometimes hard to
1: figure out where the line is, right? Right, um, when something becomes a min hug, and I think a lot of it is just it depends on the community that you live in, too. Like in Baltimore, it's such a diverse community, um, and there's so many for a lot of these things, there's not a clear min hug, um, just because. You know the community is so diverse versus you live in a smaller community where everybody you know subscribes to a certain hashkafa and it's much more you know homogenous than like there might be one standard for the whole community you know Mm -hmm. Um, but I think what what's really helpful just like again on the emotional level when you understand that part of it intellectually Mm -hmm. is just it takes away a lot of the judgment you know Um, that when you're able to say okay like I'm doing this because this is the minhug of my community she's doing that because that's the hug of her community. Um, there's just no judgment, you know, it's not like Mm -hmm. one person's better than the other, you know, it's, we're all doing our best to follow halacha and follow our rabbanim and our community. And I think that that's really beautiful to give people that, you know, benefit of the doubt and, and respect. Um, And that's something like, I really think came, came through strongly in that part of the book. And I think it's just a really important piece of, you know, talking about this conversation is that, you know, maybe there are parts of SNES that are one size fits all, but a lot of it is not, you know, and a lot of it comes down to, what's going on in the community itself, you know? And so I think it's really important to, to kind of understand that when we're looking at that topic, it gives a broader perspective.
0: Yeah. And even to not necessarily look at somebody that they're any less Sneas even than you are, even if you may be dressed differently, right? It's not even that like, I live in this community, therefore I dress more tsneistically. It's like, no, CNEAS to a certain extent is subjective. There are obviously objective things that are, are not Sneous. And I actually want to I want to talk about sort of a different aspect, which is also brought up in this book. And I think if the first place I saw it there was was in um, in the beginning, there's uh, an essay by Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. And he talks a little bit about shame, about privacy, about these types of ideas. And I guess I wonder what you think with regards to um, I guess, modern culture or what people are struggling with nowadays with regards to sneeas because I think that, when I was growing up in the late 80s, 90s, um, and that's when I was a teenager, really dress was a big issue. It was really a focus. The The way that, first of all, there were no sneas clothes available. Mm-hmm. Um, there were like a few sneas stores. It was either very, very expensive yeah. or very poor quality. Yep. There was no, you were very nerdy if you dressed sneas pretty mm-hmm. much. And I feel like nowadays that's not the case at all. There right. are so many amazing today's clothing stores very very fashionable mm-hmm. i also think that there was much more of an attraction to non-jewish culture mm-hmm. back in the 80s and 90s i feel like nowadays like we've sort of seen behind the curtain a little bit to where yeah. non-jewish culture leads to so it seems and i could just be saying this because i'm 49 and i'm not i mean team. i
1: really i'm i'm 37 i really relate to that because i think like yeah. we growing up you know like we 95 of my clothes are from the mall you know it was like right. all my friends were going to like you know, Abercrombie and Hollister, you know what I mean? Like there's these right. stores that were like the cool stores or like even, um, you know, even like the nicer stores, but like, it was all like these non-Jewish, you know, like you said, and then we had, we had some clothing stores here, but they were very expensive. Like you said, you know, most of us couldn't afford to spend $200 on one Shabbos outfit or whatever it was. So I very much re- relate to that shift in our, in the culture, just around, you know, clothing and.
0: right. Um, so I, f- I feel like even the discussion about SNEAS is a little different, but what do you see as some of the current struggles, maybe with regards to SNEAS, li- again, looking at it as, a media, as an overall, like what, what either women, girls, men also, because the book is about men, like what are we struggling with nowadays? What are the current challenges? Um, so I think like, you know, we haven't talked so much about what SNEAS is. I think
1: maybe people mm-hmm. do need to read the whole book just because so it is very complex. Yes, everybody should read the book. <laughs> it is very complex because, you know, SNES is a lot of different things. Um, Actually, it's funny. Um, <laughs> A few months ago, one of my, I only have boys. There's also like a little bit of an ironic piece to all of this. Mm-hmm. But my um my five-year-old was getting dressed in the hallway and I said to him, I was like, Binyamin, you know, maybe you should go in your room. It's a little more private there. And he says to me, Mommy, is privacy like SNEAS and I said yeah Binyam and I said privacy is part of SNEAS and he says to me he's like SNEAS really does mean a lot of different things (laughs) (laughs) so so, yes SNEAS does mean a lot of different things apparently he's picking that up in our house since this is something we've been talking about a lot the last few years but um but really, there are a lot of these pieces to it. You know, there's like the, the piece we talked about, with the mida, the internality, um, having dignity, risk, the self-respect, like Reverend Manning talks about in his part of the book, um, and this idea of privacy as well. And I think that those are things that like as a culture, are we're really struggling with mm-hmm. um, more than maybe even some of the other things, you know, like just this idea of privacy. It's something that um, I find that so many people, you know, in the younger generation just don't connect to in the same way that. Um, people did when you know we were growing up. um just like even one silly example. I taught a twelfth grade class at the base at Basiaco here last year. and we were talking about, I don't even remember the topic, but I asked them, I said to them, when you walk in the in the uh, kosher grocery store, would you walk in there on your phone? Like would you walk through the store like shopping on the phone? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah. And I asked them, well, does anybody like would anyone not do that or does anyone feel uncomfortable doing that? And not one person said yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I never do that. I'm not saying that. I do try. I really Mm -hmm. try hard not to be on the phone, like in public places, Um, especially like as I'm getting my groceries and like walking past. Like I just don't feel comfortable with it. Um, But I do think there is an element of privacy that why does everybody in the grocery store need to know what's going on with my children or my spouse or the doctor Mm -hmm. on the phone or whoever I'm talking to. Right. And, like, it was funny to me that not one girl in the whole class, even though it's a very diverse group of girls, like, understood what I was saying. They were looking at me very strangely, like, okay, so if you need to talk to them, they're calling you now. Like, why wouldn't you just pick up, you know? Right. Um, and so maybe, maybe it sounds funny that I'm even giving us as an example. Maybe people listening are going to be like, I don't know what she's no, talking about. No, I
0: actually love this example because <laughs> I've sort of instinctively always – Like every time, anytime I'm having a conversation in the store, which sometimes you just, you have to do. You have to, exactly. Right. But like, I always feel a little weird about it. And I'm thinking now like, oh, maybe that's just like a tznius instinct that I didn't realize. Because a lot of times it is like, you have this sort of instinct that something's not okay. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a function of tznius a little bit. I always think of like women who qualify their compliments. Mm -hmm. You know, when somebody says. Your chicken's great, and they say, "Oh, it's a little dry this time." I do that all the time, I'm really yeah. trying not to, to, because you should yeah. compliment; it's a yeah. gift, and you should just say thank you. But I do think that that instinct to to deflect a compliment that women have is a function of tzeis of not wanting a light shining on them. They appreciate right. the compliment; they heard it, but there's this little like I don't need, a, I don't want public attention. That's okay. underlying that. You know, so like, I do think that example totally resonates with me. Yeah. And that what you
1: just said. I think that was like the key word was like, I don't want public attention, Mm -hmm. right? But we live in a society that's literally all about getting public attention, right? Everything about it. I mean, that's the goal, right? Is to get more followers, more likes, more leads, more, you know, connections, more, right? Like we're always trying to market ourselves and promote and, you know, um, you know, it's, it's so much in the air that we breathe, you know, and and there there are good, probably good parts to it, too. I'm not, you mm-hmm. know, saying everything that nowadays is bad, and everything was great when I was growing up. That's not true, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it does lead to this sense that, you know, that natural, like, inhibition that you were describing, that certain situations, you're like, you know what, I don't know if I should share this, or I don't know if I should say this, or I don't know if I should, you know, put myself out there in this way, and this time, you know, that some of our younger generations, they're not—they don't have that inborn sensitivity um, because they grew up with social media. Meaning, they, they're born—I think Zeltzer said this in a in a class she gave on technology—like they were born into social media; it already existed. Right. You know, like we grew up without it, and then you know, you, you're a little older than me, so you remember when it started and how you, you yeah. know, adopted or didn't adopt certain things. And like for me as well, like I remember as I was growing up, like when certain. When, you know, when email became a thing, when, you know, like you remember these things, right? Um, I I actually had a funny conversation with someone, someone, uh, I met someone recently who I hadn't seen in years. And she said to me, do you remember when you were first married, you invited me and a few other single girls over for a meal? And I was like, nope. And she's like, yeah, it was so nice. We all came over. I remembered it very vaguely. And she said, we thought it was really funny because I think it was like before, maybe like a pre-fast. Mm -hmm. Like it was it was it was definitely a weekday. Because she said to me, She's like, it was so weird. You were on your phone and you were looking up the recipe on your phone. And we were all like, That's so cool. You can do that. (laughs) (laughs) So like like, we remember when these technologies started, started, you know. Um, but for our, our kids who are growing up in like such a different culture than we are, like that's kind of where I think, you know, back to your question, like I think that's where we need to focus our attention is how do we help our children? Develop, um, as Mrs. Schiffer Rabenstein talks about it, she says, their inner world, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do we develop this panemius, this inner, inner internality, this inner world, you, this concept of sensitivity, this concept of like shame that you, you know, you mentioned from the book, but like positive shame, not like unhealthy toxic mm-hmm. shame, but like this positive sense of like, I don't need to tell everybody everything all the time, right? Like, I'm going to be in control of who do I share what with, when do I share it, how do I share it. Right. and that's not just on social media that's in all of our interactions even if someone's not on social media right like who do i share this with how do i share it there's a certain like sensitivity there um that if we can really try to get back to that and try to you know um show our kids this concept of privacy right like yeah. and even like i'll give you an example a friend of mine um just reached out to me last week and she said you know <laughs> It's funny like how I'm now the expert on SNEAS, which is hilarious mm-hmm. to me. Cause like I said, I, I struggled so much with it. I'm definitely still not an expert in any sense of the word. But she said, Well, you did write the book, so I'm I'm calling you with a question. And I said, Well, what I was like, I don't know if I can help you, but what what's your question? And she said, you know, my shul is is thinking they want to um honor me and my husband this year.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm
1: and I'm feeling very uncomfortable with it, you know, and I'm trying to figure out what what is the SNEAS thing to do in this case. Is you know, the is um. putting a lot of pressure on me. It's not for us at all. We have zero interest in doing this, but it would help them, you know, raise money and, and be a good good thing for them. But for me, like I feel uncomfortable. I don't want my picture all over town on on you know those little signs they put on the yards and and on the on the flyers. And I don't want people talking about me and making videos about me. Like I just don't feel comfortable with that, you know? And and I did not give her an answer, but we kind of like talked it through together. Um, but I think that's what we're talking about is how do we have our kids like that question should should resonate with people, right? Like, yeah. like it is a question, meaning like I I just kept validating like you're right to have this question, meaning it doesn't matter what you choose to do, but the fact right. that you're thinking about it, that you're sensitive to this, that you're saying, like if someone, if you came to somebody and said, you know, we want to honor you for our show, they're like, oh, cool. Like right. that would, to me, that would not be sneeze you know, because right. it's like, okay, there's, there's all these pieces, there's this complexity. And I'm not talking about the women's pictures issue at all. Like totally right. unrelated to that. But just this idea of like putting yourself out there as like we are the parents of the year, you know, like it's just right. the things. And I think most people are doing it, you know, because they are influenced for the right reasons and they want to support these institutions yeah. and help them. And I think they, they, you know, they they make themselves uncomfortable on behalf of these organizations because they care so much about about them. Um, but just having those questions, you know, like and and talking like in my in my home, we talk about that with my kids we bring these questions up to discuss, to think about, like kids should know that these are not, th- these are not the type of decisions that we just make on a whim. You know, mm-hmm. they are things that we have to think through because there's pros, there's cons, there's, this, there's, there's values involved. You know, right. we have this value of this organization. We also have this value of, you know, being serious and not calling attention to ourselves in a way, like look how successful I am,
0: you know? Right.
1: And like So I think it's like that struggle. That's what this book's about. Like it's about, mm-hmm like embracing that struggle, wherever that struggle is for every single person is going to be different and what's going to help them get through it is different. And people might come to different conclusions and that's totally fine. Like we're not pushing a specific approach on anyone. We're just giving Mm -hmm. these sources, the education so that people can really think differently as these things come up in their lives, like about how they make their choices and what they think about.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting what you said. I think it's true. Like that lack of privacy is something that is horrifying to older people and younger people don't really, I don't even think some of them, not everybody, don't necessarily realize sort of like what they've lost. I always think of this as far as like sharing your story. Like if somebody goes through some sort of tragic thing, like in our sort of zeitgeist, it's like you, you didn't really go through something unless you share your story and help other people with it. Right. And it's like it's become this sort of almost mandatory part of any type of struggle, like an illness, a divorce, a a child with special needs. I have to now take that and share that with other people. And you don't have to share your story. I mean, sometimes it might be like you said, it might be something that I need to go through a process of like, do I sacrifice my privacy to help other people? Maybe I consult my Rob and ask him if I should give the speech about what happened to me. Um, but it isn't something that a person should automatically feel. It's almost like you sort of have to share your story now. Otherwise you didn't really go, you didn't really complete whatever process was, you know? I was going through like a very, I've I've (laughs) gone through a lot of different challenges
1: in my life, but I went through a very challenging situation in the summer. And I remember thinking like exactly what you said, like I'm going to have to somehow, like I'm only going to have like accomplished like this, However you say it, like gone through, I've only done it right. If I can like tie it up with a bow at the end and tell everybody like, this is what I went through and look how amazing I became now because of it. Or look at this organization that I started for other people going through, you know, And or just, it, it will all have been worth it if I could just so help one no right. other exactly. person. <laughs> exactly. And it actually made me feel very alone at the time. So I was like, yeah. well, I don't have, like, I'm not going to share this in that way, you right. know, and there's no pretty ending yet, you know what I'm right in the middle of it. And I think it puts a lot of like, almost like pressure on people like that. Their life has to be, you know, like, again, like what you were saying, like, I have to tell people and share it and help people. And like, sometimes you just need to get through it, you know, and you might not need to tell anybody about it. Right. And it could just
0: be a private thing that you went through. And, and
1: and yeah, I think um, I heard this from Dina Schoonmaker and I forgot the exact way she said it, but this is the part I remembered. So it could be, I'm totally misremembering Mm -hmm. it, but she was talking about Tineas and she said something I think was based on Agamara but she said this idea that when you are sharing like let's say you make a decision that this is something I do want to share right yeah. um you can keep part of it to yourself and that's and that's part of Tsenia's too like and I think I think the example she gave is like let's say you're at a parlor meeting right and people are trying to raise money and you and you say you know you can kind of go either way because you could say well it's more tsanua if I don't tell everybody I'm giving them five thousand dollars right mm-hmm. But in a way, it might be better if I tell everybody I'm giving five thousand dollars because then it'll encourage people to give more. Right? Right. It's hard to know the right thing. I think I I, I think this is the example she gave. I hope I'm not misquoting it. But she said there's also you can also have the middle ground, right? Where you Mm -hmm. say instead of saying I'm giving five thousand dollars, you say I'm giving two thousand dollars, and you know in your head you're actually going to give five thousand dollars. But not everybody in the room needs to know that,
0: right? Or I'm donating to this organization. You don't have
1: to. Like because I think that we we get pulled into that you know that need to share that need to like tell everybody and she was saying part of Sineas is even in a situation where you do need to disclose it's like how do you disclose and how much do you disclose and is there a part that you could just keep for yourself that like about that personal struggle or that personal situation that like not everybody needs to know that part of it you know Uh, and I thought that was like a really beautiful way of thinking about this too it's just like there's there's this balance there's this nuance it's not so clear cut always you know
0: yeah. I think that Sneas the, the topic really resonates with women um on a deep spiritual level and I think part of what the book does which I love is that it kind of clears away maybe some of the negativity or the social noise um the institutional noise that's sort of come up around the subject in a way for women to really just um you know, interact with it genuinely and start to think about it in a more genuine way. I I do think it's like a visceral thing that women feel, um, most women feel a connection to Tznias. Let me just ask you, um, before I get to my last question, what's been the feedback of the book?
1: Um, yeah, the feedback has been pretty overwhelming. (laughs) It's been (laughs) been amazing. Um, and that's just like the people we've heard from, you know, I always think like it, as a reader, you know, you don't always go back to the, the author and say, like, you know, here's what I loved what? about, you know, so now it like makes me feel even more like I want to do that for other people. Yes, you know? such an easy way to make people feel good, right? Like you hear a good podcast episode, or you read an article in Mishpacha magazine, and you can literally just text that person in one minute and say, here's what I loved about your article, right? Like, how easy is that? Um, mm-hmm. But from the people we have heard from, it's just been incredible feedback. And I think it's really for the reason that you said is that we kind of like, you know, for for a lot of us, we read a book on CNS and we get very defensive, you know, we're like, mm-hmm. okay, now she's going to tell me what I need to do. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's like, the, it's such a freeing experience to read a book on this topic that is like not making any demands on you. It's just sharing information. It's just sharing, it's just, it's just sharing Torah. It's just sharing ideas in a way that like, doesn't, I, I guess the way I heard it expressed by a couple of readers was that it just feels like the reader is respected, you know, like, that you're, it doesn't feel like someone's talking down to them, or right. or like here's what you need to do, and here's a list of rules. It, it's very like respectful, and people can read it and like they don't have that defensiveness, right? And they're much more willing to like actually change their behavior, or think about things differently, because there's no. It's not pushy, you know what I mean? It, it it's very like respectful tone throughout the book, and and that was really um you know a big part of I think why so many people have found it to be helpful to them um is just because there's no there's no judgment you know and like I one woman reached out who is a um Instagram influencer right and she said she 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 actually wrote um an email about how like she was gonna share something about this new sheets all she got you know and then she's like you know do I need to share this and it started mm-hmm. making her think about what do I post and how do I post? And like, to me, that's such a success, right? Um, but I think that happened because she didn't feel judged. She was like, I can take from this what makes sense for me, for my lifestyle, you know? And another woman who um, who is Haredi in Israel, um, she shared with us that like her reading the book, she used to be like very judgmental of, you know, women who dress differently than her. And by reading the book and seeing like the whole idea of Dostoevsky, it helps her to realize, okay, like here's, these people are doing, like we were talking about earlier, these people are doing what their rev, what their community does, and I'm doing what my community does. And like there's so much respect, like she said, I can, I look at people in the playground and, you know, the the neighborhood she lives in in Israel, she's like, I don't have like these like inner judgment, judgmental thoughts, you know. And she's like, if anything, it actually made me more proud of who I am because I realized, Mm -hmm. oh, there's like a reason that I do the things I do, right? It's based on the min hug of my community. And so, like, it's not like just something I do because I'm better than other people, but it's something I do because I've thought out the community that I'm a part of and the people in my community do this. And it's the min hug of this community. Um, So, like, those type of just that type of feedback has been, like, really
0: overwhelming. So in a good way. So. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And I, I could concur with everything you said about sort of the way the book is so clear and respectful. So you kind of respect what you're reading in the book. So it's called, the book is called Reclaiming Dignity. It guides its needs, or says on the front cover for men and women. Um, and where can people find it? So the book is, right now it's available
1: online. You can get it um, from Mosaica Press, Feldheim, Amazon. Um, it's also available in stores. So most Jewish bookstores should
0: have it. Okay. And I highly recommend that everybody pick it up. You will not regret it. Um, okay, so last question that I ask all of my guests, which is, and it could be on this topic or it could be on something else, but if there was one message from your life that you could share with Jewish women, what would it be? <laughs> There's so many things I'd
1: be happy to share with Jewish women, <laughs> but I think one thing that like just from the process of writing the book, not so much the book itself, but just the process mm-hmm. is that... I really feel that every single one of us can make a difference. You know, that every single Jewish woman um, and man, but every Jewish woman has has the power to make a difference in their community, in their families, in the broader Jewish community. And I I really think a big part of it is finding this overlap between like what the needs are in the community um, Mm -hmm. or the problems that you see and your own strengths and your own skills, you know? And that's kind of the book how that happened for me. But also I think we all have the ability to do that in our own little corners of the world is, you know we see some sort of problem or some sort of need Um, instead of just sitting around with our friends on Shabbos complaining about it, you know, is to think about, well, if there's this need, you know, how can I use my, my unique strengths, my unique skills to, to help solve that need.
0: I love that. Thank you so much, Bracha. Thank you for coming. This was such a great conversation. I hope everybody goes and buys the book and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for being a part of it and, and your positivity
0: about the book. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode, and I hope it was as inspiring for you as it was for me to have the conversation. Again, you could find the book, Reclaiming Dignity, Anywhere Books Are Sold, Jewish Books Are Sold, so that includes Amazon, and you could reach me at a conversation 120 at gmail.com. Please send me your um, thoughts about this particular episode. I mean, I always like to hear feedback, but I would really love to know about um, some of the things that have helped or inspired you about SNEAS, and also some of the things maybe that have made it harder for you um, with regards to your own personal SNEAS journey. So you can reach me at that uh, email address, a deeper conversation one two zero at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at a deeper conversation, and um, think about sponsoring an episode or becoming a monthly subscriber to keep the podcast going because it does take a lot of time and effort and energy to get it out there and Every bit of support certainly helps to keep this podcast up and running. So thank you all so much for listening. I will meet you all back here at the next episode.